when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's August 4th, 2017, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 85. That's like one of those numbers that feels important in a way. Oh, I know. It's because I was born in 1985. I was just saying, it's ineffable. Why does 85 feel so I important so in my heart? I was so sad that I missed 84 because that's my birth year. Oh, you And I wanted to be all like, 84 is the best. We're the only year that's also a piece of major literature in the West. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> the real world 1984 turned out way better than the book. Like, it was not a faithful adaptation, but... But, all said, you know. I'm Austin Walker, joining me, Danielle Riendo. Hi. And, I'll, of course, Rob Zachney. I have to leave in, like, ten minutes, but I wanted to be here for the intro because I forgot to talk about a thing last, on Monday, that I played over the weekend, and I kicked myself for it all week. What did you play? I played the new Titanfall 2 uh, co-op mode. See, the reason I was upset is because I love giant robots a lot. Yeah. And uh, they brought back Frontier Defense. Is there a term for that, like robot, robotophile? I don't, I don't, robotophile. I don't make love to giant robots. I don't have enough. All right, I have a, I you have know, like you a, could well, if you wanted to. That would be mechophilia. Thank you. Mechophilia. I have a gotcha. fraternal love for robots. I, I they're, okay. I'm kin to them. So yes, like, I don't okay. Know. Um, but I'm not saying again. It's not a judgment thing. I'm not yeah. saying you couldn't fuck a robot. We've right. been over we've, this. We've done this one over. But and also over. to be clear, not all robots fuck. Just. I, I've been all, just from every side. I've been over. Hmm. <laughs> Have you? Have you? Titanfall Two has a new mode. It's called Frontier Defense, and it is uh, like a co-op horde mode. There, you defend like a, a point on the map from hordes of robots coming in, and it's really cool because it gives a different robot fantasy than the main game does because it's just like hordes of big robots are coming in along with like other little guys, and it's like you plus up to I want to say it's four. I think it's a team of five. Is what I want to say. I think it's a team of five. Okay. Maybe it's a team of four. Defending. I think it's a team of four. Yeah, I think it's a team of four. Defending a single point. Um, and it just opens up the game to in a different way because there's all sorts of kind of like y- you need to take advantage of the abilities that your mechs have, that your titans have in a lot more tactical ways because – not more tactical, in a different type of tactical way because there's a difference between like I'm going to win this encounter and if I fail, I'll respawn and – we need to like stem this tide that's coming, and it's like an, it's an endurance uh, activity in a sense because it's just like they're just going to keep coming, and like I need to be survivable in a way that you don't normally have to be in Titanfall, which is interesting. Like the Titans really feel like they matter in this mode because you're so much more effective with them because it's just like oh, 20 other enemy Titans are coming. I'm really into it. It really forces you to leverage as well the fact the. Um the Titan is semi-automated. Right, totally. So, like, you really have to choose your moment. Like, am I more valuable being another gun out in the field mm-hmm. uh, and having my Titan under AI control, or should I be in the cockpit, like, firing off the special abilities? Totally. Uh, where's Where should I be at this moment? So there is kind of a cool, uh, like, tactical element to this. It's, a, it's an interesting choice that I think... is it, It's a dynamic that's not present in a lot of other horde modes, I would say, which I really dig here. Right. Uh, well, the other thing that came with this for me was this is the first time I, I kind of dipped back in to Titanfall since any of the DLC had released. And that means that there was a there was a Titan that I had never played as called Monarch hmm. that actually brought back a lot of stuff that I had missed from the original Titans in, in an abstract sense, which is interesting. So they changed the Titans in Titanfall 2 in a couple of big ways. They made them way more fragile. In the first game, the Titans always had a shield that would recharge when you're outside of combat, sort of like uh, Master Chief does in Halo. Mm. And so you were always guaranteed to have a little bit of uh, – sorry, we lost Rob for a second there – a little bit of uh, armor, Something basically. Back, you always yeah, yeah. had at least some small amount of armor that we come back to if you can get into a safe spot. Um, and then not, they didn't have that in Titanfall 2. Instead, you had to – 
basically steal something from another titan on foot to give yourself a recharge. Um, and that just meant that they, they felt paper thin to me. Like I, I still liked that game a whole bunch, but the versions of titans that I loved from the first game just weren't there. But Monarch is built around healing yourself and giving yourself more shields. You it's my kind of robot. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> she has like a – also it's like – the robots La- are all gender. It's a lady AI inside okay, the robot. So, cool. so her that's name cool. her name is Monarch, and she has a, like a you know she has like a, a, a kind of assault rifle, uh, a rocket launcher thing, and then also this laser beam that just kind of zaps energy away from an enemy titan or anything robotic to recharge her shield. Oh, I like that, which is really cool yeah. because suddenly it makes this thing of just like all right, I'm gonna hide behind this building, I'm gonna duck out, I'm gonna take some shots, I'm gonna take some damage, and I'm gonna recharge my attack or my shield, and then duck back again. And then she's a third ability that lets you recharge all of your abilities instantly. So you can kind of like get – it's like a lot of like I'm going to burst in, do a ton of damage, heal, bounce out. And it, it produces the effect that I've always loved in all things mecha, which is like the rhythm of moving around city streets, kind of pulling out of cover to have an exchange and then ducking back away to kind of lick your wounds. That's always been the part 30 of – 30 seconds of fun kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, it's always been sure. the like fantasy inside of this genre for me has always been that like – brief, intense engagement, then, like, retreat and and repair, Um, which is why, like, the first Titan falls so much in terms of competitive multiplayer. And the coolest thing about the the new Titan, and this is not even a new Titan, she's been out since, like, April or something. I'm just finally getting to play as her. New to you. New to me, (laughs) uh, is that instead of having a super move, like, all the other Titans have Overwatch-style supers, including literally... There's one that's just like the Farah jumps up in the air and shoots down a bunch of <laughs> missiles. Like they're nice. very much. One of them is just like the Soldier 76, like uh, like visor that like just auto targets for you. <laughs> but instead of that, Monarch has a thing where when you get to the first you level, you get your your meter fills up and you use it, and you just get a, a permanent upgrade for that life of Monarch, and then it refills again, and then you get a second tier of an upgrade, and you do it a third time, and then all of a sudden like it changes how you play the game. So. By default, that like laser that heals you just heals you. But you can get an upgrade if you power up and use your super that lets you heal your friends. And I was like, oh, wow, Ooh. I'm playing as like a healer in this game about giant robots. And in Frontier Defense, that just felt dope because it's like there's this onslaught of enemies. I can see my friend's mechs are like the smoke is coming off of them. And now I can give them shields. You can't heal them, but you can give them shields. And that just felt made me feel really good. So that's the thing I wanted to talk about last week and didn't get around to. Rob, we should play some of this game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, playing this mode, like, really hit the hammered home how rusty I've gotten at this game. So, like, let me have a few sessions to recover my uh, my, my uh, mech skills. Mm-hmm. And mech legs. then we'll go. Yeah, let's do it. Let's try to redo it next week. That would actually be fantastic. Before I leave, because I do have to leave in, like, <laughs> three more minutes, I... Um, I also just dipped into Heat Signature, oh. which is the next game from Tom Francis, Ooh. Uh, who made um, uh, Gunpoint, Gun Gunbound, Gunpoint. Gunpoint. Gunpoint, which is yeah. super good. Uh, Gunpoint was super good and was a kind of cyberpunk, tech noir, puzzle platformer like action game. Puzzle platformer is probably what it really is, I think, at the heart. Danielle told me she didn't play it today. Not yet. And I realized, like, it's such a Danielle game, game, Rob. <laughs> like it's a it's a charming puzzle platformer set in a cyberpunk world of like. And also, it's Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. It's so weird. Oh it's my also god! Don- it's it everything, and it's starring cyborg like cyborg lesbians too, right? Like they're in there. Uh, there's definitely. Mm, All I remember is just one little dude. Like there, you play as a little dude, but like there's definitely some intrigue, and I don't. All right. There's at least a, there's at least one rad cyborg lady in that game. Counts. I don't know what her her sexual orientation we can, is. We can you know it head might cannon. come up. I don't remember <laughs> if it does or not. Sounds good. Um, and so I've been playing the his next game, which is in like a closed beta. But I've talked to him, and he says no NDA. I can talk about this game. I might try to stream some of it this weekend. Uh, it's called Heat Signature, and you play kind of like uh, an intergalactic fixer, like Hitman slash. Like rescue operator slash uh, you know thief um, who goes on missions and it's this top down perspective in which you you kind of uh, it's sort of like all right here's like the very basic pitch what if Hotline Miami took place in a galaxy that had a bunch of ships going around in it that had a bunch of factions that were vying for control that underneath that layer you were just a single operative and you would get a mission from a board that said like 
go recover the Coriolis object, which is like there's a ton of like amazing names in this game. Coriolis object, re- that's definitely like a Star Trek episode. Yes. Like that's that's very the good. The Coriolis object, yeah. I played as a character named, um, God, what was her name? Because I'm going to get to this one little bit of a story yeah. with this before I leave because it was so good. Uh, her name was Paloma something. So there, it's a randomly generated, there's a random name generator in it that does something that I... I'm often very suspect of random name generators in games. <laughs> yeah. I like them. I like random generation. I like proc gen. But um, I have a very specific ear for a certain style of name. And I've seen lots of people try to evoke that style of name with procedural generation and not get it. Yeah. Heat Signature totally gets it. Um, and so, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, again, the pitch is like, it's Hotline Miami in that it's a top down game about entering contested spaces and then getting into fights and then like high stakes basically like one hit you're knocked out or you're or you're bleeding and it's bad um and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna tell you the story of really quickly because i have to go of uh paloma i need to remember what her last name is no i don't i have it written down i have it written down (laughs) god damn it I don't. I don't think I have it. Paloma I don't think I have it. Mechhead. It's not. Wasn't Mechhead. Here's another really good one though. Was Canopus Karen. Oh. And it's just like, oh, I need that alliteration in my life. Yeah. All right. So I had a mission to go and just like rescue someone who'd been kidnapped by this like security company called Offworld Security. And so I I bust in and I go to uh, into Offworld Security's like spaceship. Uh, and there's like twelve guards. And the way the game works is there's a bunch of tools. There's weapons. Like you throw wrenches. It has a hitman feeling, right? It's like oh, I'm gonna Ooh. hit you with a wrench or but it also has science fiction stuff like I'm going to swap places with you and I can do that once before I go back to home base and recharge it. Um, or I can knock you out and take your shotgun, your concussive shotgun, and then knock out everybody else in the room. Lots of like quick thinking, um, how do I solve this combat puzzle? And you can also pause at any time, which helps a lot. Uh, and That's, go to slow motion and like yeah. all of that stuff is there. So I end up in a situation where I need to get this person off the ship. Um, and a thing I've done before in that situation is – kill everybody, get them, go back to my space pod that I've kind of docked onto the back of their spaceship in this kind of top-down open-world map, run them back to the pod, get out. Like, that's cool. But I didn't have the time to do that because the alarm was on. Uh-huh. And so I did another thing that I'd done before, which is like, I know what I'll do. I'll blast a hole out the window <laughs> of the spaceship, fly us both out into space where we'll be suffocating, but I can remote control my pod to come pick us up before <laughs> we die. Like, that's the sort of game it is. It's like, oh, that's incredible. And so here's the thing that, like, got me. This is where I was like, oh, this game's good, actually, is I throw the person out. I'm going to go – I'm about to, like, go out into the the space pod before I do the alarm finishes. And I thought that that just meant – I'd seen a pop-up that says, oh, you get captured if the alarm finishes. And I thought in my mind that was just like, oh, the security guards are going to flood in and I'll have to fight my way out or something. The alarm is actually a countdown to how close the ship you're on is back to one of its bases. And so it – goes back into its base and my character is just there now and it's like oh Paloma's captured uh, and then it said like oh but now you're gonna play as her father and if you want you can your personal mission in life can be to go rescue her and you have to build up the funds to like get the information about where she's being held captive and you do that by doing missions because every player character it's like a, a rogue legacy like rogue like light style thing where everybody has by default a, a mission that's like um, hey uh, you really want to go get revenge on the person you have a friend who was tortured by this by this mercenary company you want revenge on them or like oh you're trying to find this lost you know object of great value and so you always have this thing of like I'm trying to raise money to get information so I can go do that mission. But the fact that it gave me a character who was that player's father to be like, oh, that's my personal mission. And it said, like, if you rescue her, you get to play as her again and get all of her cool toys back that she was captured with. And then her father, whose name was like J- Jemina or something, got – Apparently she got, was Paloma Sycamore. Paloma by the Sycamore. Way, somebody, thank you. Somebody said it, not How, me. I don't know who was in the chat. Maybe somebody, thank you. It was. It was Paloma Sycamore. That's totally right. And then, well, the thing, and then, so her, her father was... Uh, fancy rectangles. Thank you, fancy rectangles. I don't know how you knew that. That's Jack, apparently... Oh, Jack may have tweeted did, about did it. Did Jack tweet, yeah, yeah. Well, the reason I know that is Jack DeKeat fucking booted up his game, and he found a character that said, oh, Jemina, or no, that said Paloma Sycamore has been kidnapped. 
he on a different version of this game on his Steam account got a mission to rescue my character and I was like oh fuck that's this so game cool. is really good that's like awesome. that's such a small little thing and that's like such a, a great bit of asymmetrical connection that makes you feel like you're inhabiting the same world even though the universe is, is randomly generated like I can hit a button that says generate me a new a new galaxy to explore with new factions to fight and, and all that. And I don't know. It's just like it's in beta now. It doesn't have a release date. Sure. Um, my hope is that it'll be in this. My hope is this year because it's like in a state now where the combat puzzles are great. The proc gen is producing interesting experiences. The tools that you have at your disposal make me feel really clever when you use them well and really goofy when you use them poorly. Like the time I, I blew off a side of a space day. I <laughs> <sighs> There was a guy who I was trying to kill, and he had bodyguards, and I shot a bodyguard, but I didn't realize the bodyguard had on, like, an explosive vest. And so it just took the whole side of the spaceship we were on off. And I'm just floating through space again. There's a lot of just, like, I turn the corner, I make a decision, now I'm in space. But in a way that's very comedic and very, like, it, it's played for laughs in a way that I did not anticipate. Anyway, I had to, cool. sorry I had to rush through that. I've been here for... For 15 minutes instead of 10, I have to run. I'm going to tag in, if I can. Good thing. Tag in Natalie. Natalie just gave me a thumbs up as if to say, yes, tag me in. Sure. All right. Ta- Natalie will be here okay. talking and also probably bringing Rob back every <laughs> five having, minutes. Yeah. Today has been a day. This <laughs> week a day. has it's been, been a week. week. <laughs> I wish I had more time. I'm going to go run to this meeting for this this documentary thing. So That sounds right. really good. Tag. We have to actually tag. Tag. Oh, sh- literal tag. Literal tag. In case you didn't see it. Uh, let the referee know. All right. Thank you. No. I'm going to grab my stuff. Just moving. Don't worry. It's moving. That's how we do things. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Natalie. Natalie to the podcast. Natalie's been here before. I've been here once. You were here once. I've been here one time. Yeah, well, now it's two times. Now I'm on my second time here. Well, this is this is clearly the hot seat where people talk about the game that they're playing. Do you want to talk about a little little PUBG? Even you you just played a little bit of. So I've had PUBG downloaded, installed on my computer for maybe a month. <laughs> Good, and uh, I have not. I opened it once, and it was, like, the, the character creation, and I was like, I'm not ready for this. I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is a commitment. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to, to define myself in PUBG yet. I just was like, I don't know how I want to present myself. I don't know if I want to be one of the nudists. I don't know if I want to be <laughs> one of the edgelords. I don't know if I, I don't know who I want to be in, in, in this battlegrounds world. So I've just been avoiding it. Um, and then today we had to do some stream tests. And so I was playing, <laughs> I was like made to play PUBG. As you've been made to be on the podcast. As I've been made to be on the podcast right now. And basically, uh, I got to like top 30. And then I, I, I jumped off the plane into the woods, into the wilderness, into nowhere zone, because I was just like, oh, I just want to, you know, like speed up my, like get a lot of frame rate action so I can see how like the stream's doing. And <laughs> so I just jumped off into nowhere land. I found a gun. I found a, an ammo, a, a few am- ammo, a few ammo. And was just running around and really just lasted a really long time and then handed it over to Austin, who took over after, like... Made it to, like, six, He made it to six, which was insane. Yeah, it was pretty good, It was was a very good run, and we were, like, streaming it on our test account, and we were like, if this... It's a chicken dinner. We we just streamed it for no one. Like, no one will ever see this, but... uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. I, I While I was playing it, I was like, oh, when I go home, I, I finally hit that threshold, or I finally hit that that obstacle, or I've finally been able to overcome that obstacle, so when I go home, I'm definitely going to play a lot. Right, so are you going to be a nudist, an edgelord nudist, I, an edgelord with clothes? I, like, I like the idea, well, the new clothes are sick. Like, Ooh. sick. So I'm really excited about these new, about these new, uh, outfit options but I think my ideal is like a long edgelord cape mm. and then uh, underpants <laughs> and that's all I can really figure out that's good that's like a very Marvel way of doing it yeah, you know, like something very form fitting and a 
cape and a cape, it's, basically. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Rob, I don't know if it involves capes or underwear, but I know that you have been playing. Let me see. I got notes here. You've, you've been playing that's stuff. That's not been updated. I don't know. It's not been updated. Yeah, that's why I looked. I was like, oh, let me do a quick switcheroo here. Yep, I haven't seen this well, one in a week. Don't even try to make this smooth because I'm going to drop out in like probably 35 seconds. For sure. Like, yeah, it's going to happen. Is, this is the cursed pod. It's, it's a little uh, cursed like, today. It's, it's a little nerve wracking, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. There we go. I've got you. Don't. Oh. <laughs> and it happened. Well, he's, he's going to come back. Because so Natalie's I, got yeah, it. As I was saying, I think that's pretty much uh, how I solve video games and save the oh. industry. So. Oh, wow. And but world anyway. hunger at the same time. Pretty much. And peace. Oh, wow. And and peace. Wow. Rob, that was brilliant. I'm, I'm really glad that you were here with us for that beautiful description. That was that was incredible. Memorable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, this week, I guess I've been playing a lot of Kingdoms and Castles. Ah. Which is a little... Uh, a little baby city builder, a uh, little little bit tower defense, a uh, little bit little bit city builder. There's not a whole lot to it, which eventually becomes its problem. Like I'm currently obsessively playing it, but like to no end. Like it's a solved game. <laughs> Nothing interesting is happening anymore. I'm just making a population count go like higher and higher, and like. <laughs> How happy can I make these little fuckers? <laughs> and the answer is like pretty happy. Um, but the thing that's frustrating me is the game keeps telling me like they keep having these waves of unhappiness because like Vikings keep attacking and like I keep failing to fend them off. But I'm like, that's bullshit. Like I am totally fending off these attacks. Uh, so in Kingdoms and Castles, basically you're building a really simple like medieval city. Like, your people have very simple needs. They just need, like, food, charcoal. I guess they love to grill out or something. Yeah, big, and heat their houses. Big grillers. Medieval grillers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah just, <laughs> just just all just all La Plancha all the, t- all, all the time. Uh, anyway, so, you know, they want their food. They want their charcoal. And they want to not be carried off by Vikings. Okay. Uh, which is Fair. pretty much what any of us can want. Yeah. And... Every time the Vikings show up, and they show up like every five to ten minutes, it's Vikings or a dragon. Dragons suck. Dragons like fly in, and they just get like shot with arrows, and they die. It's like every dragon basically is Smaug, where, where it just like shows up and is like, Haha, I'm a big dragon. And then someone has the novel of idea of like, hey, what if I fuck this dragon up with a, like a bow and arrow? And it totally works. Um, so the, the dragons aren't a problem, but the Vikings are... And while the Viking soldiers can be fended off with walls, they can't get through walls, they eventually show up with ogres, uh, which, historically accurate. Right, uh, right. This is why the Vikings were the terror of Northern Europe for so long. Uh, The ogres. The ogres, yeah. Yeah. So they show up with ogres, and the ogres, like, punch down your walls. And they take a lot of killing. But at this point, uh, I have got so many walls, they're... They're so heavily defended that, like, nothing is getting through. But somehow my people keep thinking that the Vikings are, like, successfully attacking and they're not being kept safe. And I'm like, I remember. Like, we all know <laughs> what unsafe looks like. Like, I've seen this city burn, like, five or, ten, you know, five or six times. Like, we, we've, we've been through that together. And now, like... One like one orchard catches fire, and everyone's like, "Oh, the, the you know the the Viking attacks are are just out of control." Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a really insightful metaphor for uh, the war on terror and the security state. Could be, yeah. But but anyway, I'm just at this point. I'm just playing to see if I can get like more people and get them to just recognize that like they are safe. They can. They're being left in peace. I've done that for them. Yeah. They'll be okay. Now, I, I'm not going to lie. When you first said, oh, it's a city builder, and you were first describing this, I for some reason I thought just a sim city or a city skylines, and then it was modern when you said Vikings. I was like, oh, right, the modern Vikings that come in with their ogres and dragons, and I just sort of pictured people in, like, little suits in, and like, ties. In, the, in the metropolitan <laughs> being, city. Exactly, being, like, looted. And Shrek is hanging it was, out. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, Shrek is definitely part of this image that I had. It was, it was pretty good. I like I like that a lot. Uh, anything else that you've been playing, enjoying, having a good well, time with? I've gone back to Prey. Yes, I did like, that too. I'm, actually, this week, go on. 
I'm in the final sprint. Like at this point, I've got to scan a whole bunch of coral for uh, Alex. Yes. And then I've got the keys to the escape thingy and the keys to the reactor thingy. Okay. Uh, so I feel like there's probably some big endgame decisions uh, coming up soon. Yeah. But we're not there yet. So um, did you finish it before, or is this your first time finishing the game? This is my first time finishing it. I just okay. got sidetracked. Uh, remember, I think what kind of threw my, derailed my game was I was really feeling it, and then there was that dude hiding in the duck, that that, <sighs> that dead body. Yeah. That, what's his name? I forget, but I, I super remember Gary? that guy. Yeah, I've, I, he sucked. He he's he's just in case you didn't know. There's a zero G sequence <laughs> where <laughs> there's a dude hiding around like a pipe that you don't know you can get over. Yeah, and it sucks, and it's like a whole quest. And like if you do it late enough into the game, you've already got the thing that you would have gotten from him anyway. Yeah. So if you spend an hour getting you know irradiated and trying to find your way around this pipe, it's just it's a bad scene. It's nonsense. A little bit of a bad scene. So hey, Rob. Anyway, so now um, <laughs> I've pretty much got everything, and everything's become, like, trivially difficult. Uh, like, the closest call I've had was I got stuck in some geometry in the nightclub. Like, I went up into the, uh, oh, no. the, the lighting rig, and I got stuck. And my last save was, like, 15 minutes earlier. Uh-oh. And so I had to, like, burn my precious neuromods on a shape-shifting ability I didn't even want. So I could, like, I had to drop my pistol on the ground. So I could look at it, and then I could stare at the pistol and be like, I shall not become the pistol. And I shapeshifted into a gun, and then I sort of like uh, like Beauty and the Beast like hopped out of the lighting <laughs> rig and onto the ground. And that's that's kind of, that was the biggest challenge I've had of late. At this point, like there's this monster you encounter called the Nightmare. Oh, yes. Uh, that, like it's just a, like all the, like all the enemy design, it's just like, what if a big ass oil monster was like, hunting you in a space station? And like the nightmare is like really like no, it's really big, you guys. But it's huge. Uh, and at this point, like it shows up, and I have the special magic weapon that just like completely trashes it. So all the like the cool game stuff of prey is kind of at an end. The stuff that I think yeah. you and I really loved in those early hours, and now I'm just kind of like playing it for the world and the atmosphere, which is still great, but. It couldn't sustain that like balance it had in the opening hours. There's some stuff ahead, semi-scripted encounters and such that you'll probably. I at least sort of rekindled my love of the, of you know figuring out the puzzle of how to get through a particular encounter. I was gonna say with the nightmare, the best part of it is that it makes like pissed off cheetah noises. It does not make the noises you think that a giant oil monster would make. It's like a wow. It's, <laughs> it's not very, a gurgle. It's not a gurgle, and it's not like a <laughs> or like a horn noise. It's like a wow. Did it twice just for posterity, in case somebody didn't know. <laughs> you know, there was a double nightmare right there. But yeah, I actually played some more prey because <laughs> of course I did. Why would I play the games I need to play? <laughs> uh, instead, I'll just play prey five times. Actually, because I'm I, I had to. Uh, do it for a work reason. There's a work reason. A work I reason. won't go into it, but there was a work reason, and I was back in the crew quarters and, you know, lovingly going over all of the different, you know, emails and the voice logs and the beautiful environment, and oh my god, it's gonna be... It's gonna be really hard to pick anything over Prey in my game of the year, but that's even with Zelda, that's even with the possibility of Mario, that's even... I haven't played Tacoma yet, it's even Nier. with Kyre being amazing, it's even with Nier being amazing, I still need to finish that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't sleep on Prey, and I don't care, even if even if Austin and Patrick are, like, neutral on Prey, they're not haters, but they're more neutral on it. I'm just like, no. No, guys, it's Prey is good. amazing. Prey is amazing. Fantastic. You should play Prey. I should play Prey. I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this shape-shifting idea. Yeah. Because I really don't know anything about Prey. Because I'm more of a person who, like, likes to know absolutely nothing going into a game. Good. Especially one that's, like, very, very big. Um, which actually makes not much sense. I no, I, it think. does. It's it's. It's big, and I think it's actually fairly dense. Yeah. More than it's, like, massive. Uh, yeah. It, it, there's just a lot going on inside the space station. <laughs> Yeah, so. like I feel like if uh, if I if something that's like a short small game is like spoiled for me, I'm like, oh, I would have gotten there in a couple hours. 
But if it's like I'm putting, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 hours into a game and the end is spoiled, I'm much more likely to be devastated. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's an investment at that point. So Um, I also played a whole lot of Lego Worlds, which... I, I was shocked by how much I was so into it. Now, it shouldn't be shocking. I loved Legos growing up. I was, like, love is actually too mild of a word. I was, like, a Lego obsessive. I built, like, massive room scale models of things with, yeah, it was pretty crazy, to be honest. I, I wrote about the, this a little The description bit. in your piece of, like, building Disneyland? All of Walt Disney your... World. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I mean, it wasn't literally every single attraction, but there, every land and every world was represented. Beautiful. Like, it was, our entire playroom was this, I was 11. I don't know if that helps or hurts <laughs> in this description, but it was the full playroom. And it had two monorail systems. It had three theme parks. It had hotels. It had boat systems. It was intricate and large and I was obsessed so anyway uh, the fact that I'm obsessed with a Lego game that's actually about building and about making your own worlds and about kind of making your own fun it shouldn't be shocking that I was this into it but Mm -hmm. it's a really good building game it's like a really really good really well done um, I was saying like if you want the meats it's very much Minecraft meets Scribblenauts, and if you played Scribblenauts, oh. you should know how awesome that is. And that's because all the little characters and animals have scripting attached to them. So they'll act, they'll behave in certain ways. I, the example I gave is I, I spawned a bunch of warrior women on the moon, and they ran around, and they were, like, flexing and being having a little party. And there was a little explorer dude who's, like, a 30s explorer Lego guy. I put him in a room with a rock monster. The rock monster ate him. It was great. So oh there was all God, that little, so like, cool. sandboxy exploration kind of stuff where you can just throw things together and see what they do. And, of course, the, the main fun of this is actually building things. And, yeah. and you can build – I didn't know this until going into it, but you can build things brick by brick. You have an infinite array of bricks, every color, every shape. And you can put them together one by one if you want. Or you can copy structures, like massive structures, yeah. build on top of that, change it however you want. It's amazing. <laughs> so Yeah, I was going to ask, like, is that good? Because I remember um, the brick-by-brick brick construction was used in LEGO Universe. I don't know, some MMO. Sure. Uh, where, like, the main action was very, like, LEGO platformer, except even simpler because you, you were on a server. Uh, but then you could also go to your, like, little realm, your little your little, like, Lego space and, like, build whatever you wanted. And trying to, like, build Legos in a, like, with a mouse and keyboard and trying to, like, get the pieces to go, like, it sucked. Like, (laughs) like, you know, on some level I knew, like, I could be having, like, obviously I could build cool things with this, but it was really awful. It was shit. I think if there had been other controls, it would have been better. Did they solve that at all here? Like, can, have they made, like, playing with Legos on a screen fun? Yes, at least for me. And I was playing on the PS4, so I, I was using a controller to do this. And things snap really nicely. There's sort of, like, a grid option that's already... Everything kind of automatically snaps to this, and then you can kind of... Um, say I was building, like, a little wall, just to make it very simple. Everything kind of already aligns to a little grid, and if I want to put the next thing on, I just sort of click the stick a tiny bit, and it automatically is, like, nicely in place where you kind of want it. Yeah. And if you want to go one level up, you just use the D-pad one level up. It's it's really nice and intuitive, actually. I spent a lot of—I spent more time than I thought I would doing the one-piece building things just to kind of— you know, fuck with the interface a bit just to kind of play around. And also because I enjoyed that so much when I was younger. And obviously it's never going to be as satisfying in a tactile sense as actually having those little bits of plastic and actually kind of putting them together with your hands. I don't think anything's ever going to do that until we have holodecks, which (laughs) we totally will, right? And I'll play Lego Dimensions on a holodeck. Lego World, sorry, excuse me, uh, on a holodeck. But it kind of makes up for that, I think, with the scripting and the fact that these worlds are animated and there's always, like, when you're flying the little spaceship, I, I should say that I played this largely because there's a new DLC out and it's the classic space from the 70s and 80s with the little spacemen and the little oh, aliens and really cool little uh, spaceships. So when you're flying these little spaceships, there's actually, like, a fire effect and it's little... the little Lego blocks that look like fire are constantly, like, sort of coming out. So it has all this spirit and has all this sort of fun of those mm-hmm. games and, and that sort of aspect of it where it's, oh, it's actually animated, it's actually responding, it's actually scripted in such a way that, that the little creatures and, and things respond appropriately. 
is really awesome and really great. And I am going to keep playing this game because it's my dream to build a beautiful cyberpunk dystopia in Lego worlds. I think that, you know, it's an unreasonable goal, <laughs> especially because I can't seem to beat the games I need to beat. But I really love it. And I was uh, just pleasantly surprised. I will say on the negative side, the camera sucks. It's a 3D. It's a wildly ambitious 3D game with, you know, building and the camera is a little wonky. And there was a save bug that made me very angry. I had to do all the oh, tutorials no. over again. Oh, and they're no. lovely, but Jesus. <laughs> no one wants to do a tutorial twice. No, nobody does. That's so, a one time it's a one time. It's it's a you're dealing with the the one time kind of thing. So there's some issues with it, but I really like it, and I really think it's worth uh, those little kind of just you know little nitpicks. I think. So yeah, I think uh, unless anybody has anything else, they they deeply need to to express. You can <laughs> forever hold your peace because we're going to the question bucket, baby. Uh, Natalie. Let's Give me a number between one and... We're actually getting through this. Uh, we're getting through this pretty well. It's one and like 50... 57. It looks at Heinz 57. Beautiful. So we're one and 57. Let's go to... Uh, uh, let's go to number three. Number three is a good number. That was my basketball number when I was a little kid. You like all these little Danielle stories that I tell, you know, while I'm scrolling through a thing. Okay, this is an anonymous one. Oh, snart. Oh, God, there's a whole lot of letters and numbers here. Here we go. Ready? Anonymous. I've been mulling over this for a while, but I figured it'd be an interesting topic for a deep dive. I've been playing Beatmania 2DX (laughs) for quite some time, but I've been worried about the future of the game. If you're not familiar with it, it's a reasonably challenging music and rhythm game. There's a link here. The main distinction for most music and rhythm games is that it is key-sounded. This means button presses correspond to individual notes and sound samples. So failing to press keys means pieces of a song are missing, or pressing extra keys means you get a bunch of extra garbage from what you pressed. TLDR version. How do I approach trying to keep interest, community alive for a game when the only real viable route is piracy? And the more visible is, is more likely to work towards eliminating the community that helps grow it. Um, there's some more here. I think, yes, they gave me the TLDR version before all of the details, but I'll, I'll do a little bit more. Okay. And then we'll, we'll Thank you. We can address. <laughs> yeah. While the series fading away over time isn't particularly noteworthy, the circumstances here are. Firstly, this is one of the few games Konami continues to develop and publish. Localization tests for 2DX24 happened in Japan in July 2016. The last home release is 2DX16 in 2008 on the PS2. There's obviously enough of a Japanese audience to continue the series, but as I don't read or speak Japanese, that puts me in the same boat as a majority of the community. Piracy. This is where the piracy came in. Yeah, we got a little buried in the lead problem here, but it's all right. We're here. I go for a legitimate option if one was available. The controllers in that video run $500 each, but Konami doesn't seem to have any plans of releasing outside of Japan. There may also be some sort of hang-up with music rights. Just look at the bizarre streaming requirements on some originally published in Japan games. The way folks end up with the game at this point is either a simulator, a program that approximates the game and runs sim fees for that program, such as Stepmania for DDR, or an emulated arcade environment, dumping the hard drive contents of an arcade machine and setting up a fake environment to run them. Okay, so I think we get the story at this point. Sorry that the TLDR was uh, was, <laughs> was a little high up there. Uh, but it seems like the, the main thing here is this person really loves this game, this is incredibly hard to actually find legitimately, and yeah. is piracy okay in this situation? Well, I'm not sure what we're allowed to actually. Yeah, say. exactly. Uh, can't legal. like officially condone legal. <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's say hypothetically speaking, with no legal troubles whatsoever. That's how we're going to answer. With no this. intent to actually replicate this, this in real life. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is the if I did it, here's how. Yep. Of uh, video game preservation and piracy. <laughs> Look, I think it's a real problem in just legacy gaming in video game preservation that legal methods cause things to be lost forever. Yeah. Uh, and in a lot of cases, the people doing the preserving are also the people breaking copyright and pirating and ripping 
And that is a real contradiction and a real problem for the medium. Um, and in general, my own personal inclination is I like things to be preserved. I like them to be shared around and kept available for people who maybe arrived too late to the original party. Mm. Um, and so in general, like I'm all for efforts to keep these things around and alive. Uh, but at the same time, there's there are limits to how far you can take that. Yeah. That For, sounds really good and fair. That sounds very good and fair. <laughs> Rob, since you gave such a good and fair <laughs> answer there, how about you pick up the next number here? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, let's do three. <laughs> Sorry, I saw Corvo. I mean, we can do three again. There's no, a new like, question here. Yeah. You know, we're, doing, we're playing threes. It's fine. Playing, playing threes. threes. This one comes from Craig. Craig. Yeah, Craig. <laughs> I just did like a real excited question for you. Thank you. He wrote the question bucket, says question for you. I, we're already in a good place with Craig. <laughs> question for you. Which was, which was spurred on by your discussion on Friday about Corvo and Dishonored? <laughs> <laughs> it might be an older one, all right? Is this from Friday? A Friday, okay? <laughs> I find the structure of narrative for games to be fascinating. One of the most interesting structure choices for me is whether or not to voice the main character. Uh, many games, like Dishonored 1, by the way, you didn't miss much. Yeah. It's just a question of whether or not to voice the main character. Okay, cool. Oh many my games, God. like Dishonored Sky 1, yes. Skype command? Yeah, that's that's good. That's very yeah, good. Yeah, uh, the chat is reacting positively to our uh, technical difficulties, if you're listening to this, not on Skype. Uh, sorry, <laughs> not sorry. on Twitch. Many games, like Dishonored 1 and Dragon Age Origins, present you with a silent player character and rely on your imagination to fill in the blanks of dialogue and have the true story be shaped by a colorful supporting cast and environment, while others, like Dishonored 2 and Dragon Age 2, uh, depend on a strong central figure in a speaking role to drive the story home with perhaps more muted supporting elements. Obviously, this changes the way the user interacts with the main character and story on a cognitive level. You have a preference to these two types of storytelling. What do you think are the positives and negatives of each style? Enjoying the new pod so far and looking forward to what the new site design has to offer. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Do you have a preference, Natalie? Do you have a specific, uh, do you prefer games with that sort of uh, silent protagonist, or, or is it uh, situational? Um, I think it depends for me on the type of game. Um, sure. If it's a game that's, you know, where I'm really, like, meant to forge my own path, I find it kind of, I think my thing with Dragon Age I know Dragon Age Inquisition the best, so I will use that. But with Dragon Age Inquisition, the fact that, like, there were, like, dialogue choices that I made and then the dialogue that actually occurred wasn't exactly the dialogue choice I made. Like, it was somehow a little bit different. I think of, like, maybe it's, like, an intonation or maybe it's, like, a... Um, just like the wording is, it's like kind of the same, but it's a little bit different. And I was always very kind of put off by those because I felt like that my intentions were like mishandled and like what I really wanted to say and what I clicked on and decided to say <laughs> was like still kind of manipulated for me. And I think if the point is like this is supposed to be some sort of game or this is supposed to be a game where like the ending is up to you and the anyone anything can happen and you can forge your own path, then yes, let me forge my own path and don't speak for me. Like let me speak like as one to one through the character as possible. Um but in games where you're following a narrative, I think of 
like like a cinematic kind yeah, of yeah like unch- yeah, sure. like an uncharted like Nathan Drake is a character who has a life. <laughs> I mean, dude has a life. Nathan has a beautiful girlfriend. You know, he gets around the world. He's got a life. Exactly. That's right. But the Inquisitor, like the fact that like even the, the, how you reference the character, the fact that you name the Inquisitor, whatever you want, the fact that like you're allowed to kind of place yourself or that you're encouraged to place yourself within um, that world then, yeah, let me be in the world one-to-one. Sure. Yeah. Rob, do you have a preference, or is it also sort of more situational for you? Yeah, I think, like, I think Natalie's largely kind of nailed the the things that I want from this as well. Like, where I start to get really frustrated is where the game is trying to give me some illusion of choice, but it can't map, like, the, the options it's presenting don't map to the things that I remotely want or identify with, or even not even necessarily, like, don't, ident- like, match with my sense of the character. Um, mm. Like, I am especially not a fan of when you're given an A, B, or C dialogue option, and then you're like, well, B seems like a, you know, B says one thing, and then your character has an interpretation of B, basically, mm-hmm. where it's like, like, it's like, uh, it's sort of like the Cole Phelps problem in, in L.A. Noir, yeah. I think, was the closest, uh, the worst I've seen this, but it happens in other dialogue systems as well, where it's like B is like, uh, you know, middle of the road option or show, express some, some doubt about what this person is telling you or lightly disagree. And you say, okay, this seems like a place where I'd push back on that a little bit. And then you like hit B and tables are being flipped. And you're like, whoa, that's, that's, not, that's not what I wanted at all. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the that's the big thing for me. Uh, in general, I probably do prefer speaking characters. Uh, I don't feel the need to. <laughs> Most of the time, I'm I'm more into uh, have like having a character that exists that I can sort of like read like a normal character. Um, like a normal character. That was extremely well timed. It was. And anyway, that's how you do video game narrative in a satisfying and consistent manner. He's solving all of the problems today. This is amazing. I'm really glad you're sharing this wisdom with us. I I was going to actually bring up Cole Phelps uh, in my answer as well, uh, saying that the stronger a character is or the more, you know, sort of... Uh, personality is put into a character, the more you run the risk of also making a shitty character or somebody that you will completely not identify with, like an Aiden Pierce <laughs> from the first Watch Dogs, or Cole Phelps, who I I actually really, really like L.A. Noire. I think has some massive issues, but I really like that game, and I and I like disliking the main character. It's, it's a weird thing where I feel like I'm both embodying this main character, and he's just such a turd burglar. He's just, like, such a milquetoast, like... Oh, I'm a cop, and it's he's awful. Uh, but it's interesting, and it actually it tied into my enjoyment of the game, where it's like, at least the way it ends is very like definitive about what happened to Mister Turdberg. What's you know? Actually, Eleanor, real quick, I think yeah. it's an interesting case because that's an example of because people are, I think, go into these games with the expectation that somehow they are the main character or that this main character will somehow reflect their values. And I think one of the real problems in L.A. Noir is that ultimately what you realize by the end of the story is that Cole Phelps was never the hero. And he's always been a fraud. Like, going back yeah. to his war hero days, like, the entire story of that game is this is a guy who is faking it till he makes it in one situation after another and has literally never been good at any of these jobs. Yep. <laughs> he's just someone who fits the image of someone you might think would be good at this job. Like, L.A. Noir is, like, uh, white privilege failing upwards uh, the, game. The, the video game. Yeah, <laughs> for <exactly>. sure. <laughs> and the and, fact that it takes place, sorry, just because yeah. he's a cop, it, it adds to it for me at least. It, that certainly does. <laughs> yeah, and so I think L.A. Noir might have been more successful than I initially gave it credit for being, but it, like, it showed its hand so late that by that point, <laughs> I had already sort of reached the conclusion that like, whoa, this Cole Phelps is not doing at all what I want this character to be, do- to yeah. be doing. Yeah. And I didn't realize that, oh, no, he actually is just a fuck-up. Yeah. That's one thing I really respect about that game, whether it was 100% intentional or not. Yeah. It's entirely possible to read that as, as like, no, no, they 
they thought he was all right, but he's a tragic hero kind of thing. And I much prefer it the other way, but yeah. Um, I also was going to mention Uncharted and that the reason to play those games is how much fun and how much personality those characters have. Yeah. Chloe's way better than Nathan Drake. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> uh, and All right. I just need one more number. Uh, just shout it out. Both of you shout out a number. Shout, shout, a note, shout a number. Three. <laughs> I was waiting and for we got And we got three again. I was waiting I, for three. Three. three for three, baby. Here we go. This three is, questions, number three, yeah, threes. I think this is perfect. You know, it was, it was beautiful. Uh, this is from Joey in Memphis. Joey. All right, Joey. Thank you, Joey. My question. In recent years, there's been a noticeable trend of game devaluation for indie games, uh, where games on PS Plus, Xbox Live Gold, and Humble Bundle, plus other bundle sites have left gamers uh, with a sense of wait for a bundle before you buy, or with the first thought of a game being it's going to end up in a bundle eventually, so don't buy. Even I have found myself holding off on indie games because I know the price will eventually fall down to pennies, which has left my Steam library at 500-plus games. Although in recent months, I have been, I found myself having to make the conscious decision in breaking that mindset, possibly due to the prevalence of Kickstarter or Patreon, with saying, I need to support this work because it has a huge effort uh, and the dev put their heart and soul into it. With this shift in mindset of uh, games devaluation, has it been a help to the industry and small indie devs out there, or has it been a detriment and a race towards the bottom for many games? How can indie devs tackle this mindset and bring about a much uh, larger cultural change of raising their prices back to a point where there's a fair price for a fair game? Best regards, Joey. This is a really good question because I think Joey's right. (laughs) (laughs) I think Joey's very, very correct in saying there's been a devaluation. And I think it's something we've talked about a little bit on our other podcast uh, the weekend. You should listen to it, it's a great podcast. Uh, (laughs) But a little bit about. Are you telling your friends? Yeah, I was telling our friends uh, the weekend, really good. Um, About. You know, how much Steam has really played a part in this, uh, and not just um, not just Steam. Obviously, the bundle sites uh, sort of work with Steam uh, a lot of the times in this sort of stuff. But there really has been this incredible plummet, which is obviously on one side it, it, great to be able to have so many great games for a low price, especially if you are not a rich person with a massive income. And oh my God, I can actually play all these things I've heard good things about. And they're going to charity, and, they're, and a lot time. of them are going to charity, which is which is rad. But of course. Uh, we also want game developers, especially indies who may not be making a massive living, to be able to eat and put food on the table and have health insurance and things that we need for life. So, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask both of you to to continue on this. Those are the two sides of the coin. Where do we fall, perhaps? I mean, Rob, you've I been fixing like... all the problems, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is a really complicated topic because, like, it's one of those things where the market forces are are so strong that it feels like any prescriptive recommendation you make would be kind of meaningless and sure. probably ill-advised uh, yeah. as, as well. Like, I am fully in favor of people being able to support themselves off their creative output. Um, I do worry that this race to the bottom that's been going on for years has really pushed things to a dangerous level. Uh, if you're not uh, somebody who's lucky enough to enjoy really significant profile in the games industry. So I think, and I think that's, that's, I think probably who's going to be hit the most like this affects everybody. But if you're somebody who's relying on word of mouth more than like an initial like launch push, like I'm like, I'm sure this is a problem for Tacoma for instance, but I'm not sure, sure. it's as much a problem for Tacoma uh, as it would be for a smaller indie studio that's like new to the market these days. Uh, Tacoma like gets to have a cool launch window where it's like dominating the conversation. If you're trying to work up to that, and people are discovering your game through these like you know it's on sale for five bucks this weekend or it's in a bundle where if you pay seventy five cents more than the average, you know you get like twelve extra games. I don't know what you do with that. Yeah. I will say it's also it's it's a problem that I sympathize with so much, and I think we all do on the on the uh, journalistic side as well. Where it's it's just what are people going to pay attention to today, and and yeah. trying to understand 
what the needs are uh, of people who will read about games versus, you know, what people want to play. I've had this discussion with a lot of my friends who are indie devs where it's like, it's almost as if, oh, we're in the same business. <laughs> who gets the most attention? Who can actually, who actually has a platform uh, for, for either sort of showcasing work or, you know, showcasing the right kind of work that will get more attention? It's like a very tenuous and difficult thing to uh, to contend with on either side uh, in, in a crowded marketplace. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's just like the oversaturation. Sat- yes, saturation of games and <laughs> just content on Steam as an indie developer who may not have like the advertising campaign of of a game like Tacoma where it's not only is it like highly anticipated, but it's, it's being highly talked about and whether that's like a a campaign or whether that's just people are very excited for that game. I don't know, but like it, I can see, I mean, as a game developer, aspiring game developer myself, like I can see the benefit of, you know, steam or humble bundle picking my game out for me. Right. And, like, putting it into people's spheres, like, people's vicinity, yet at, like, my expense, kind of, but also my benefit, like, I don't know. It depends what the what the end game is. It depends what we, like, where we end up at. Am I, you know, is my one game in this, like, 20-game Humble Bundle, like, going to be recognized or is it going to get lost and what's probably going to happen is it's going to get lost i have i have a similar problem with my steam library where i have lots 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 of games <laughs> and i ha- don't realistically have the time to play them all and realistically i look at some of these titles and i'm like when did i buy this what is this game <laughs> sure and why the fuck do i have binary domain <laughs> in my, in my library? <laughs> what, oh, wait, what is this doing here <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's just, uh, it's, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know, because it's, like, it's also, like, an integrity question, and it's also, like, a a financial question, and it it has a lot to do with, like, how we value ourselves in a monetary way and also in, like, our creative value way, and that's very hard to grapple with, I think. Yeah, I think especially for... (laughs) <laughs> Politi- the way we lean politically at Waypoint generally we're all like god why why are they asking dirty communists to make uh, you know <laughs> like pronouncements on our capitalistic system of, of how we how we buy and sell games and how we make games and, and you know the cost of labor <laughs> and all of that stuff I am not qualified to talk about that and Rob, see, Rob just hung up on us he can't even deal it's alright uh, but yeah, I think the other side of this question is uh, what it sounds to me like Joey's also doing a what can I do? I've I've looked at the Patreon model. I've looked at like oh I'm paying full price for this game because I really believe in it and yeah. and that sort of thing, which seems like okay a a, a thing people can do certainly, uh, but it's also it's difficult to tell people to do that because. I don't think a lot of folks have a ton of disposable income too. So there's there's that side of it as well. So yeah, and then there's like the option or the idea that like with a Kickstarter, if it doesn't hit the goal, where did all that labor go? Yeah, yeah and for sure. that sucks. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> yeah, we should get a capitalism command. People are saying that in, <laughs> in, the, in the chat. I think that would be very good. I'm gonna just read. Uh, Turbo Tango's comment here because I feel like this is a good good way to close this letter. Waypoint, come for the dirty communism, stay for the reasoned, restrained commentary on mixed media capitalism in a society with highly constrained leisure time. Zone. Yeah, thank you, thank you for understanding us so well, Turbo Tango. I really appreciate that, and that makes me very happy. So I think we're going to start closing out. Natalie, thank you so much for both doing the podcast and also like pinch hitting our stream. And also every time Rob Skype decides to, to have a tantrum, I'm so sorry, you're, you're Rob. Going I back. really don't know what's happening. I'm <laughs> very confused. You're, well, you're doing good. You know, I think- apologies to the stream viewers because yes. this is this is a new and novel way for our setup to fail. So <laughs> every day there's something new. So many sorries. I'm very sorry. I'm going to troubleshoot this immediately. Sorry, it's not your fault. Natalie, where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me at Natalie Watson on Twitter. Awesome. Rob, how about you? At Rob Zachney. Oh, that's very fantastic. 
I'm Danielle R.I. And I want to shout out our new producer, Rob. Do you have a Twitter, Rob? Yeah. What's your Twitter? Rob, the letter K, Schulte, S-C-H-U-L-T-E. There we go. Well, Rob is producing. Thank you so much, Rob, for producing. And shout-outs to Bowen, who allows us to use his track, Miss You, off the EP Pale Machine. I didn't even look. I want that to go on the record. I just knew that. Uh, please come to our website. Please read our articles. Here's a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, we, we sure would appreciate you reading our articles. That helps us out so much. And it really is an awesome thing for you to do because we, we pour our hearts and souls, our work, our labor, our product, the sweat of our brows. That all goes on uh, waypoint.vice.com, you know. I'm sh- I think there is actually a com- like a communism.zone or something in there, communist commentary.zone, discourse something. Oh, did uh, culturalmarxism.club? That's it. Culturalmarxism.club will get you there, too. And, of course, on Twitter, at Waypoint Facebook, uh, Waypoint Vice, and on YouTube, Waypoint Vice. Thank you all so, so much. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you being awesome and patient with us as we had some technical difficulties. And we appreciate Austin, who is now in a meeting, uh, making big decisions. So thank you, everybody. And I will say what I always say to the people. Be good or be good at it. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.